I am in my 83rd year. I've been a pastor for 65 years, and this is the number one surprise of my life, looking at you. Uh, I can't believe it. We own a 100,000 watt radio station in our dear church, and John MacArthur preaches on that radio station every day. And I came out here expecting to go to a preacher's school. I thought we'd have the most beautiful sanctuary. <laughs> the most. And I thought I'd be preaching to young ministers. And my first impression was as I sat down there, there's going to be more women preachers here in California than any other time in the world. <laughs> I can't get over you. I just can't. The surprise of my life. Remember that guy that married that woman? because she was a glorious opera singer and he never thought about what she might look like in bed. So the next morning after their honeymoon, he awakened and looked over there at that critter and said, said to her, Mary, for the Lord's sake, wake up and sing. <laughs> I tell you, I am dumbfounded. I took it for granted that John MacArthur had a church in Los Angeles, and I thought it would be you know, down there among all those skyscrapers and all those houses and apartments and everything. So I expected to come out here to his school, and I thought it would be downtown somewhere. Well, Lowry got me in his car, and we drove and drove, and I said, where are we going? He said, this is the road to San Francisco. Well, I thought, law me, we're in the earth. And when finally we landed, we went through the flooded River Jordan in order to get here. <laughs> You're a sight. I am, uh, I am amazed at you. <laughs> and I can see that we have made one wonderful contribution to the institution. We sent Dr. Bookman out here with his beautiful wife and those darling children. And I envy him. <laughs> I do. God love you. Uh, <clears throat> now, if you don't mind, let me talk to us as ministers in the house of the Lord. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men 
who shall be able to teach others also. And I'd like to speak of our threefold commitment. What you received of me, an apostle of Jesus Christ, the same commit thou to faithful men, who in turn will take that truth of God to others also. And I speak of it as a threefold commitment. Number one, a commitment to our church, to the church. There are three words that are used in the Bible to describe the minister of the church. He's called an episcopus, translated bishop, that refers to his leadership in the congregation. He's called a presbyteros, translated elder, that refers to his dignity as he walks in and out before the people. And he is called a poimain, translated shepherd or pastor, and that refers to his God-given love and care for his people. And there is no such thing as a great church without a great preacher, period. That's the reason that John MacArthur has been able, and I wish I could see his church, having heard him preach so many, many times. I wish I could see his church. He's a wonderful preacher, and without even seeing the congregation, I can well imagine what a glorious communion they have with each other. And having been called into the ministry, and having been selected to be the under-shepherd of God's people, we need to remember that every generation must have its own God-given leader and preacher and presbyter and pastor and bishop. And that means we are contemporary with our times. What they did years ago may be impossible to implement today. I've got to minister to those who live in my day and my generation. My predecessor in the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas, was the most famous Baptist preacher that we've ever produced in this part of the earth. His name was George W. Truett. He was pastor there for 47 years. In 95 years, our church has had two pastors. And George W. Truett visited his people with a horse and buggy, in a horse and buggy. He never learned to drive an automobile. And he was never in an airplane, not one time in his life. Well, I was 43 years younger than Dr. Truett when I went to be pastor of the church, and I announced to the people that I was going to go down to Love Field, the airport in Dallas, buy me a ticket, and I was going to ride an airplane. You never heard such lugubrious prognostications in all your born days. My deacons and people gathered around me and said, Oh, Pastor, you're not going to get up there in the sky. Why, you fall out. You, 
You get, we're going to pick you up with a blotter. You're going to turn to a center. You're not going to get in an airplane. Yes, I am. I said, I'm going to fly in a plane. And I went down there to Love Field and bought me a ticket. I was like that cowpoke from West Texas, put down a $500 bill, said, give me a ticket. And the guy said, where to? And he said, anywhere, son. I got business all over. Well, that's the way I went down there. And I got in that thing. And they wound it up. And it took off into the wild blue yonder and scared the living daylights out of me. I looked across the aisle, and there was a guy reading a newspaper. I wanted to holler at him and say, man, put that down, start praying. Don't you know we're up here in the sky? I tell you, I did fairly well until I got up enough nerve to look out the window. And when I did, I looked, I looked slap, dab, smacky, doodle into the middle of a cemetery right down there below me. And it seemed to me that every one of those tombstones was waving to me up there in the air. I'm like that guy that took his first airplane ride, and he said, you know, I did pretty good until a buzzard flew alongside, looked in the window, and winked at me. But I rode that thing, and I've been riding them ever since. I'll be going back to Dallas this afternoon in one of them. And I'm seeing that the ministry in our day and in our generation has to be commensurate with the life and culture of the people to whom we serve in the name of God. What they did back yonder years ago may be so unthinkable as to be outlandish if you try to implement it now. I minister to this day, to this generation, and you must do the same. Whatever it is that God will bless, do it. I don't care what. There are some churches that have services that are beyond anything I could describe. We have a very traditional church, and the services are very ordered. Dear me, some of these churches they call contemporary, how amazed I am at the kind of music they sing and the way they carry on and the whole programming. But I don't sit there and say, good God in heaven, what has happened to the faith? I sit there and say, if the Lord can use that kind of music and if the Lord can use that kind of a service and the Lord can use that kind of approach, praise God anyway, somehow, to get the message of salvation to people and you be that way. Whatever God will bless, you do it. A second commitment to the lost, to these that are not saved. My mother, so long ago that I can hardly believe it, was in the 19 and 20s. My mother took me to Amarillo and put me in high school. Over there on the other side of the Santa Fe Railroad track was a community of what we call greasers. I never heard them called any other name but greasers. They were Mexicans and they worked on the rip tracks. Nobody paid any attention to them. They were just over there. And upon a day, a smallpox epidemic broke out in that community of Mexicans on the other side of the Santa Fe track. And the United States government sent a commission down there to Amarillo 
quarantined that town. Nobody could leave it, and nobody could enter it. And did you know that happened in the great oil boom of the Panhandle? Amarillo was bursting with growth. And when the United States government lifted that quarantine, Amarillo was as dead as the proverbial doornail. I'm telling you, and you listen to me, I don't care who they are, and I don't care what you call them, and I don't care their color or their cultural background. They are a part of us. Jesus died for them, just as he died for me. And our ministry is to be to the lost people everywhere. Any language, any culture, any color, any background. Let me have my church on any kind of a street where the race of men go by. The men who are good, the men who are bad. As good and as bad as I am. I would not sit in this corner seat or hurl the cynics band. Let me have my church on any kind of a street and be a friend to men. Our church, I did my best to get those ethnic groups to come to the first church in Dallas and fail ignominiously. I couldn't introduce them. I couldn't make them feel at home. I couldn't entice them in attendance. So what I did, I went out there where they are. And our church has 31 ethnic chapels. 31 of them. Blessed of God. There's not anything in all of the years of my ministry of which I'm more proud than every Sunday on the Lord's Day and every day of the week there is a ministry to those 31 ethnic groups in the city of Dallas. A commitment to the law. Once again, and last, a commitment to the Word of God. Oh, what a day in which we live. We are losing our great institutions, all of us. We have lost every great university that the Baptists have built in the North, every one of them. Chicago University, built for the evangelization of the heartland of America. Those dear people in the North, in their little Sunday school classes, took up dimes and nickels and pennies in order to build a school around the Morgan Park Theological Seminary in Chicago for the saving of the lost in the great heartland of America. John D. Rockefeller Sr., a deacon in the Euclid Avenue Baptist Church in Cleveland, Ohio, was so moved by that dedication that he gave the school $40 million. And no sooner had the school been founded than in one scholastic generation it went infidel. Same thing with Brown University. Great Baptist Evangelical Bastion 
doesn't even propose to think of its Christian heritage. We've lost all of our great Baptist institutions in Canada, and we're losing them one by one in the South. Our great senior university, Richmond University in Richmond, Virginia, has dissociated itself from the Baptist people. Our great senior university in North Carolina, Wake Forest University, has disassociated itself from the Baptist people. Our great senior university in South Carolina, Furman, has dissociated itself from the Baptist people. Our great university in Florida, Stetson University, has disassociated itself from the Baptist people. And last November, in a sorrow beyond what I could describe, our great Baptist Senior University in Texas, Baylor, dissociated itself from the Baptist people. They are gone secular. I don't understand. These kids go away to school and come back there to our church and come up to me and they say, so you believe that book? You believe that Bible. And you believe God created us. That's what you say you believe. I have learned, they say to me, that I came from a green scum. I was a tadpole. Then I was a marsupial. Then I was a fish and a fowl. Then I was a monkey. And an ape, and now here I am. Well, I say, where under high heaven and in the Sam Hill did you learn that? And they say to me, my teacher, my professor at the school, he taught us that we were evolved from some kind of a unicellular animal. And I say, your professor teaches you that? And they say, yes. Ah, once I was a tadpole beginning to begin. Then I was a frog with my tail tucked in. Then I was a monkey in a banyan tree. And now I'm a professor with a Ph.D. <laughs> God bless So last November, when Baylor University voted to disassociate itself from our people, our denomination, our Christian Baptist heritage, the following Sunday, when I got through preaching, there came down the aisle, there came down the aisle eight kids, university students, and uh, they surrounded me in a semicircle, just like this. And uh, I said, hi, y'all, where are you from? We're from, from Baylor. Oh, I said, so you eight kids are from Baylor? Yeah. And in the conversation with those eight standing around me, boys and girls, I said, do you take Bible at Baylor? Are you in a Bible class? Oh, yeah, we take Bible. Well, I said, do they teach you there that the Bible is inspired and inerrant? 
and infallible? Do they teach you that? No, they said. Our professors down there at Baylor University, they teach us that the Bible is full of contradiction and full of errors and full of mistakes. Well, I said, let me ask you one other thing. Do they teach you that the Bible is authoritatively accurate, that it is historically verifiable? Oh, no, they said. They teach us down there that the Bible is full of myth and fable and grotesque stories such as Jonah and the whale. Well, I get to thinking. So that book, which I have given my life and study and preparation and preaching and the hope I have in him. So that book is full of myth and legend and full of errors and mistakes and grotesque contradictions. When I stand up there and hold it in my hand, how do I know which one is the truth and which one is a lie? How am I to be taught which one is a myth and which one is a fable? It has lost its authority and its hope of heaven. And if I can't preach out of an infallible word of God, the truth of the Lord, I have lost my book and the foundation upon which I stand when I preach the gospel. Throw it away. Throw it away. Then what? I stand there before those dear people and I have no Bible in error. I have no Bible in Alabama. I have no word from God of eternal veracity and truth and hope. And worst of all, and most tragic of all. I'm a pastor. A few weeks ago, I held five funeral services in one week. Five of them in one week. I live in that kind of a world. And I have no word of comfort. My Bible is full of myth and legend and contradictions and errors and mistakes. And I have... No hope for those grieving families. Sir Walter Scott lay dying, the immortal, incomparable bard of Scotland. Sir Walter Scott lay dying, and he turned to his son-in-law, the author of one of the greatest biographies in the English language. He turned to his son-in-law and said, Lockhart, Bring me the book. And Lockhart, the son-in-law of the great Scottish bard, said, Father, what book? Out of the thousand in your library, what book? And Sir Walter Scott replied, Son, there is just one book. Bring me the book. And Lockhart went into the library and picked up the Bible, and lovingly and tenderly 
and believingly brought it back to the dying court. And Sir Walter Scott died with that book in his hand. There's just one book, cried the dying sage. Read me the old, old story and the winged word that can never age wafted his soul to glory. There's just one book. And I hold it in my hand and I preach its inerrancy and its infallibility and its inspiration. And I find hope not only for myself, but for the people to whom I minister as a, a child of God, as a pastor of the church. And I pray that you, in your life and commitment, will be just like that. I don't care what the critics say. And I don't care what the infidel avows. To me, this is God's holy word. And I have told my wife, and I have publicly stated from my congregation, when I die, I want you to take that book and put it in my hand. And when the people pass by and look on my still and silent face, I want to see that holy and heavenly book in my hand. You be that way, and God will bless your ministry wherever he sends you. A youth leader, a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher, love God's word, and the Lord will be the sweetest, dearest friend you've ever known. And when time comes to die, I'll see you in heaven some glorious and triumphant day. Bless you, sweet, precious young people. Now, Bookman, I want you to come up here and you you unhitch me, and you take over. <laughs> Let's stand together and dismiss the word of prayer, shall we? Our Father in heaven, we do thank you so much for the challenge that we've heard this morning. We thank you for Dr. Criswell and his marvelous ministry. We thank you for the ministry that you've given him this morning in our midst. And Father, most of all, we do thank you indeed for the ministry that you've given us on your behalf. We love you, Father. We want to live our lives out for your glory and to serve you. We realize we can do that only as we are faithful to the book that you've given us. Thank you for this challenge and for the opportunity to sit at the feet of Dr. Criswell. Be with us now as we leave this place, and we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.